Lord God, we come to you. We can praise you for who you are. God, for your presence in our lives. And I ask, Lord, that you, Lord, would be with our veterans. Lord, be with, uh, be with them, be with their families. And Lord, we uh, just echo the prayer from the video, Lord, that you would just touch them in a special way today. And God, this morning, um, Lord, we just lift up to you, Lord, the needs that we have. God, we, we are thankful that you're with us, Lord, through the hard times and through the victories. And Lord, we just praise you today, Lord, for your presence. God, for your power, for your intervention. God, for your miracles. And God, I just pray a special touch on those that need it today. God, whatever that, that need might be, Lord, you know what it is, and I pray that you would touch them in a special way. God, I pray specifically for those that are watching online today. God, touch them in a special way, wherever they're at. And Lord, as we just continue to seek your face, seek your presence, or to worship you, Lord, through all these different ways this morning, through singing, through fellowship, through giving, through studying of your word, I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to what you have to say for us this morning from your word. Lord, as we continue to learn from 1 Thessalonians, God, and you open our eyes and our hearts, Lord, to receive from you this morning. Lord, we thank you for the truth that your word holds. God, for the foundation and cornerstone it can be in our lives, Lord. And we ask, Lord, now as we open it, as we read and study, Lord, for your presence to be with us. In Jesus' precious holy name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing this, our series that we started uh, several weeks ago now as we are in week four of our study of the book of First Thessalonians. So today we're, um, we're in starting into the very last chapter, chapter five. Next week will be the conclusion of this series. Uh, and then... Believe it or not, we are starting our Christmas series okay, right after that. So that is, again, coming up very quickly, uh, but just excited for where God's leading us, again, into that season. Uh, just a reminder, last week we, we had these in the bulletin. If you got one of these 360 cards, I hope that you've been praying for those people and just um, hope and that God's been providing those opportunities for those spiritual conversations. If you didn't get one, then uh, you know, there are some out on the, on the table out there. You can grab one. Continue to, and again, this card is for you. It's not to give to those people. This is a reminder for you to pray for them right? and to ask God to open up opportunities, right? To have those conversations and, and to invite them again, especially as we go into to Thanksgiving, as well as the Christmas season is a great opportunity to have to bring people with you to church, right? Through, especially through the Christmas season. So just continue to pray for them, take those opportunities. And, and as we follow through with everything that God's asking us to do and and ultimately, that's what we've seen in, Thess in the letter to the Thessalonians. Again, this is a letter of Paul that uh, him and his team that they wrote uh, back to the church in Thessalonica. It was a town that Paul had gone on his missionary journey. He'd shared the gospel. And, and as people uh, hear the gospel, as they receive Christ into their life, then uh, they came together right, and started these churches. And there, was, there were churches then in all these different towns where Paul had gone with his team and preached the gospel to the Gentiles. And as we see, again, this is one of those letters that's written back to one of these churches. And, and we've already seen throughout the letter that it addresses all kinds of very relevant questions and issues right, that they had um, in that church then, but are still very present in, even in our churches today. As we have gone through kind of, uh, you know, verse by verse, chapter by chapter to get that today, 
we are going to jump right back in where we left off last week, and that is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me uh, to this passage. If you're here with us in person, don't have your own Bible. There are Bibles provided for you in the seats. You're welcome to grab and use. And you'll notice the page numbers included there and where you can find this passage in those Bibles. If you're with us online, you can follow along in your Bible as well, um, or just listen as I read it. But we're going to jump into, again, uh, the first part of chapter 4. Um, as he starts another section, and in this section, though, he addresses um, two very big issues, very big topics that are still very relevant to us today. Um, so we're going to start with just the first two verses, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 and 2. Where it says, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God, as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Again, I want to pause right there. We're going to come back to it. So leave your Bibles open. We're going to come back to it several times throughout uh, this morning. But uh, as I want to pause with these first two verses, because these uh, are, again, the intro into this next section. And and these verses bring up kind of a few topics that he's going to dive deeper into later uh, in, in our text this morning. But he, he brings up some stuff he's already addressed earlier in the letter. Okay, this is not um, any, some, any new information or new points. He's just going to dive deeper into them. Okay, the, the first thing that he brings up, and just on your outline, I encourage you to underline or circle the phrase, live in a way that pleases God. Okay, live in a way that pleases God. And it can, because this phrase, again, is reiterating something we've already seen earlier in the letter. Okay, but yet, the, the, the concept that he's teaching us, that he's reminding us of, that he brings up again in this section in chapter 4, is that lifestyle choices have a big impact on the progression of your faith. Okay, lifestyle choices have a big impact on the progression of your faith. Now again, remember, this letter is written to those that already believe in Christ. Okay, now again, just like last week, we talked about some false doctrines and false gospels, and that this is one that I think that even is still out there, right? I know it's out there. It's very prominent, right? Is that my lifestyle choices dictate my salvation. That is a false gospel. Okay, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. Okay, so our lifestyle choices do not keep us from salvation, from a relationship with God. Right, but those lifestyle choices, though, will hold you back in your faith once you receive Christ as your Savior. And so, again, this is directed towards, towards those who know Christ as their Savior. So, just hear me. If you are here today, if you're watching online, and you don't know Christ as your Savior, right, know that that is the first step of your journey. That's how you join the journey, is to pray and receive Christ into your life, to confess your sin, ask for His grace, His love, His forgiveness. And again, your lifestyle choices, where you are in that moment when you receive Christ, does not keep you away from Him. It's by His grace we are saved. Now, however, though, once you're saved, once the Holy Spirit comes into your life, that's then when now the Holy Spirit starts to convict you of some of those lifestyle choices that are holding you back from Him, that are pushing Him away. And your, those lifestyle choices have big impact on you moving forward in your faith. Because God wants to save you right where you are, right? He loves you right where you are, and He saves you right where you are, but He does not want to leave you there. He wants to move you forward closer to Christ every day as He transforms your heart and your mind. Right? And our lifestyle choices will hold us back. 
Okay, now, again, we see this concept that he presents here, right? Is that now, as a follower of Jesus, that now my lifestyle, my choices, my attitudes, my perspectives, all of those, right? My goal in life is to please God. Right? That I am devoted to Him, right? That I want to please God, not people. Right? I'm not there to, to please anybody else around me. I'm here to please God. I want my lifestyle choices to be ones that God will smile upon. As I become more holy every day, as I'm transformed by God's Spirit. And so as we saw already earlier in the letter, right, that this comes back up, that the win of our life needs to be defined by what God says, not by what other people say. And, and as we, we, again, as we grow in our faith and as we learn, as we study his word, we start to, to learn and, 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 and see, you know, as God opens our eyes and, and changes the way we think, as we start to learn God's ways. And so my forward progress, again, as I look at this to move forward, my forward progress in my faith, this transformation journey, the faith journey for me to move forward, it requires obedience to God's ways. Right, not just learning them, but then I have to actually live up to those standards, right? To God's way. And we look back in our previous series with creation, we know that God's created order. Right? And if we live within God's created order, within the boundaries He set up in our lives, right, then um, it will move us forward, right? And and we will be, be move forward and be transformed, be more like Jesus tomorrow than we are today. But it requires obedience. I have, to, I have to actually do what God tells me to do. This is a verse we looked at, again, in week two. This is, this is uh, again, a, a concept that was already, that came up in that week. But, but, but for my forward progress, to, to be obedient to God's standards, right, means that the goal of my life changes. And, and as Paul addressed in one of his other letters in Galatians 1.10, he says, obviously I am not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. And so my goal in life, the the win of my life is different than it was before I knew Jesus. Because now the goal of my life is to please God. And to be obedient to what he calls me to do. And I think that's, that's the reality in every area of our lives, is just to do what God tells you to do. And be obedient to to his direction and only listen to his voice, right? And follow his voice. And again, once we know what that is, once God tells us what the next step is in our lives, right? Then it's on us to be obedient and take that step. Now, again, as we all know, right? Is that those are not always easy steps. And, and, and we see that, which leads us to the, to the next thing that we already have looked at, right? And, and in week one, we saw the concept that, that following Jesus is countercultural. Right, that following Jesus is going against the, the, what our world tells us we should do in life. And, and, which means that for me to stay on that path and to continue to move forward in my faith and to be, be obedient to God, uh, not only do I need obedience, but I also need discipline. Right, I have to stay committed right, to that. And that, create, that, makes, that requires discipline in my life. Right, that I have to be disciplined. Okay, then I have to have a plan. I have to know where I'm going and I have to actually follow through with those steps. Right? In fact, I tell you, it is not a coincidence, right? 
when uh, that that we are are called to be disciples of Christ. That's what the base word of disciple is. Discipline. Right? That I will be disciplined in my daily life. I will be disciplined in, in what I do every day, right? That I'm going to be focused on God. I'm going to do what he calls me to do. It, it takes discipline. It takes follow through. And, and another one of Paul's letters in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he, he, he talks about this concept. And he says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Again, I will discipline my, my body, right, to do what God tells me to do. I will discipline my mind and my heart. Right, to follow through with that. And that is a daily decision, just like in sports, right? Just like in working out, just like in, in music, just like in all those things. And I have to be disciplined to practice. I have to be disciplined to take care of my body, to get stronger, to, to do all those kinds of things. And the same is true in your spiritual life. It is that you have to be disciplined, right? And, and just like our bodies, right? If we, if we are disciplined to that and if we follow through, we will yield results. And we will move forward in our faith journey. And we see, again, these, um, you know, these overall concepts that he presents, that he reminds us of in these first few verses. And then, um, as we move on, the, the other thing, the other phrase I want you to circle or underline, okay, is at the end of this one where he says, um, if you live this way already, we encourage you to do so even more. Okay, go back to, again, verses 1 and 2. Okay, and he says, you live this way already. Okay, they are already doing the right things. And yet Paul now is telling him, he's like, you're already doing it. Now it's time to go to the next level. Okay, and, and as we, we see this phrase, right, that's presented there, what he's reminding them of or even showing them is that when you are ready for the next step in your journey, when God's ready to move you to the next level of your faith, is that, um, that God will show you the next step in your transformation journey when you are ready for it. Okay, he will show you the next step when you are ready for it. But the key is to be obedient to the first step. Right? If we are obedient to what God's told us to do, and then we show discipline in that, and we continue to move, then God will then open your eyes to the next step of your journey. I say, okay, now we've, we've taken care of this in your life. Now we can move into this area. Again, this is, this is where, as the further we grow, this is where spiritual maturity starts to take root in our lives. Right? This is when we see some of those, whether it's those habitual sins or, or the, whatever it might be, those addictions, those things that we've, we've fought with, it, that's when, when God transforms our hearts to that and be like, no, I don't want to go down that road again. I'm not going to, I know where that road goes, and it's not pleasant. Right? So I'm not going to go down that one. And, and once we kind of get to that place and we're obedient, and we're disciplined in that area, then God's like, okay, good. Now that that's taken care of, now we can go here. Right? And he can take us closer to him. And even in the next step of our journey. But again, God is gracious, right? He won't, he won't throw all these things on us all at once. He'll say, this is, a, this is a journey. Right? There are different phases and seasons of the journey. And yet, when you are ready for the next step, God will show you. Again, he's, he's encouraging them. He says, you are living this way already. Right? They are already doing a good job of living a holy life. 
Again, they were being obedient and disciplined in what God has already given them to do. And that's the question for us, right? The next question for us. Am I being obedient and disciplined to what God's already told me to do? Am I doing it all the way? Or am I holding back? Hey, because the reality is God will not give you the next step until you've, you've taken care of this one. Right, so, again, that's the first question we must ask ourselves. Am I being obedient and disciplined in what God has already told me to do? If not, then it's time to, to do that, right? To take that step and to do that. And then he says, you've already, they were, he says, you already live this way. Okay, and then realize the next phrase. He says, then now we encourage you to do so even more. Right, because now you can take the next step of that transformation journey. Right, and be more like Christ right? because of the next thing that God is giving you to work on. And then we see, as he continues on in chapter 4, is Paul actually addresses three areas of improvement for the Thessalonica church. Okay, and he brings up three very specific things in the next verses in this section of the letter. Okay, the, the first thing that he brings up in verses 3 through 8 is a Christian sexual ethic. Is he addresses sexuality from a Christian perspective. So we're going to read verses 3 through 8. Okay, so this is fair warning. This is a little bit uncomfortable, right? We, we, we've already kind of picked up on that. Okay, here we go, verses 3 through 8. Okay, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Just let that verse ruminate in your heart for a moment. God's will is for you to be holy. To stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, Anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Hey, now, as we read these, these words, as we read these instructions, again, he was saying this is the first area he addresses. He's saying the next step for you is to, to truly be obedient and disciplined in a Christian sexual ethic. And notice what does he do here? He says that, Sex was God's idea, right? It was a part of his creation. We go back into Genesis, right? Is that God gave us sex. And it was included in what he said was good. But just like everything that God created and he gave us, is that it is only good inside his boundaries. And if we go outside of those boundaries, it will be damaging. Now again, especially right now in, in the Christian world, all we want to talk about when it comes to Christian sexual ethic is LBGTQ issues. And I will tell you is that this goes way beyond just LBGTQ. I mean, it includes that, but it goes way beyond that. And, and, and now with that said, as, as we see here, he presents to us right, that, that God's design for sexuality is different than the world. I mean, he talks about that, right? He addresses it clearly. That as followers of Jesus, you should have a different perspective and a different um, lifestyle when it comes to your sexuality than the world. 
okay, than the pagans who don't know God. But notice, what is, what's the goal, right? The point of a Christian sexual ethic is a holy life, okay, which, which is the goal of our faith, by the way, to be holy like he is holy. You know, we've talked about this before, haven't we? Right? The goal of our faith is not to get to heaven. The goal of our faith is to be transformed and made holy. Now, heaven is a great side fringe benefit of that, right, of that process. But the goal of our faith is to be holy. And he's bringing, he's bringing this up to them and saying, your sexual ethic is something that's holding you back in this process. Hey, now, with each of these, I would say, these are all, all three of these that he brings up are things we could dive way deeper into. Hey, we don't have time to do that this morning. And so what I have, I've listed on there as just for you to, if you need to dive deeper in a Christian sexual ethic, here's some passages to get you started. Hey, this, I will tell you, is that, again, sexuality is something that our, our culture and our world, our Christian culture, is struggling with. And it's not just about LGBTQ issues. It is that we need to look at our Christian sexual ethic. And because, just like it was for them, it's an issue for us. The next thing that he addresses in verses 9 through 10 is he addresses a life of love. Let's go back to the text, verses 9 and 10. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Again, as we see, this is, again, this is, love is a part of God's character. He's saying that the the more you learn about God, the more you learn about what true love is, the more you feel that, the more you can can pass that on through you and be, you know, be a conduit of God's love into this world. Okay, love, um, again, plays a huge part in our daily life and walk with Jesus. And we see, uh, again, as as um, Jesus dives into this in, in lots of different places, but again, a way for you to start deeper is is in some of John's writings. Okay, is, is um, again, you are already loving others and now and loving God and he says and but you can do it better right you can take it to another level and then the the third thing that he addresses in these verses is in 11 and 12 the third area is to focus the focus of your life and your faith he's saying focus on that okay focus on these things verses 11 and 12 he says make it your goal to live a quiet life Minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. Again, he's telling them, just focus on your life, your daily decisions, on your work, on your faith, and being obedient and disciplined in these different areas of your life. And guess what? Your life will be different. And following Jesus is countercultural. Uh, he says that right, then the people who are not believers will respect the way you live. And, and again, we talked about earlier in the series as well, right? Your strongest evangelistic tool is your own faith journey. Uh, is you being obedient and disciplined in what God is telling you to do. Uh, again, if you want to dive deeper into just daily life choices and, and you know, those kinds of things is and your work, and your faith, and all that it takes. You can look in Colossians and First Peter, and that will get you started. 
And so we see, again, these areas, right, of, of where he's telling them, he's like, hey, you need to, to go deeper. The next, you are ready for the next step, so keep going. And I think the overall encouragement of that is for all of us, that no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, no matter how far down the spiritual journey you are, there is more growth for you. Okay, keep going. You know, do what the next thing that God is telling you to do. Okay, now, um, then we move into the, 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 the next section we're going to cover today. And as you can already tell, we're covering a lot of ground today, so I'm powering through these things, right? Each one of these could be its own sermon. Okay, now with that, as we look at this next section, okay, as he moves into this, uh, which is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 5, 11. Okay, now this section, okay, addresses the second coming of Jesus. Now, just like, um, you know, everything that he addresses here in these first verses in chapter 4, um, in the last part of 4 and the first part of 5, he addresses questions that, that they had then that are still incredibly prominent in our world today. Has anybody heard or seen a meme or heard anybody mention the end of the world lately? I sure have. Right? If you haven't, you know, then open your phone, right? Um, turn on the TV, right? I mean, it's, it's everywhere, right? For, for some pretty obvious reasons, right? But I think as we look at that, again, they, the people in Thessalonica had a lot of the same questions that we still have today about the end of the world. Now, this is not the first time that he's mentioned the second coming of Christ in the letter. In fact, he has done it in every chapter of the letter. He talked about it in, in chapter 1, verse 10, in chapter 2, verse 19, in chapter 3, verse 13, and then he has this entire section, half of chapter 4 and half of chapter 5. He is addressing the second coming of Christ. Okay, so, so as we look at this, let's look at what are the, the questions that he addresses. He addresses three very specific questions that they had about the second coming of Christ. Okay, the first question he addresses is what about those, those people that die before Christ returns? Now, again, every generation has, since Jesus has believed that Jesus was coming back potentially in their lifetime. I tell you, in fact, you can go back even to writings from, again, from the first century church, right? In fact, most of them even you know, and these letters thought that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. Okay, they looked at their world and said, it can't get any worse. He has to be coming soon. Okay, every generation has done that. And so again, I'll tell you, as, again, I look at our world, I'm like, Lord, can it get any worse? I think you might be coming, right? And, but again, the reality is, he hasn't come yet. Right, so again, but so they're asking this question: What about those that die before Christ returns? And so he addresses this question in verses thirteen through eighteen. So again, we're going to read the text. Here's this, here's his answer as he addresses this. Chapter four, verse thirteen. He says, "And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life, we also believe that when Jesus returns." that God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the, the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves, and then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth 
will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. And so again, he addresses this question, right, of, of what about those that have died before Christ returns? And, and as we read there, he says, his answer is it doesn't really matter whether you are dead or alive when Christ comes again. It doesn't really matter. Right? As long as you are with Christ, right, are walking with him, are saved, he says, then that, so the real answer is that we will all be with the Lord forever. All believers. And so again, the, the answer is, well, it doesn't really matter if Jesus comes back in your lifetime or not. Right? The reality is that we will all be with the Lord forever. And, and so we, again, he says, now be encouraged by this, right? He's like, it's not something you have to worry about. Right? Because whether Jesus comes back in our lifetime, right, or he doesn't, the end is the same, the result is the, is the same. Right? We are with the Lord forever. Okay? So, again, this first question, he addresses it pretty clearly, right? We will all be with the Lord forever. Right? Now, the next question he addresses, um, it is one that is just in, continues to be very prominent. And, and this is, again, if, if you came back because of my hook last week, this was the question that you were waiting for. Right? Exactly how and when will the world as we know it end? Okay, this question, it's, it's out there. Right? Every, there's lots of different theories. Okay, there's, there's all kinds of things. Again, if, if you're not really sure, if, you, if there are lots of theories, put this question into Google. I guarantee you, you will have thousands and thousands and thousands of results and of differing opinions that all con conflict with each other. It is exactly how and when will the world end? Now, to say that, okay, there are a lot of different theories. And you know, there are some theories that are more popular than others. There are some that have gotten more press than others. There's, you know, some that, again, um, have had, you know, entire novels written about, right, that have been very popular. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of different theories out there. And so, again, we, we all get hung up on this question, don't we? Because we all want to figure it out. Right? We all want to know exactly when and what's going to happen. Okay, is there a rapture? Is there not a rapture? Right? Is, there, is there an antichrist? Is there a mark of the beast? Like, like, is it a computer chip, or is it not? Like, like we get into, into all these kinds of questions, right? And there's all these answers just swirling in our culture and in our world. And I will tell you is that there is more than one biblically credence perspective. Hey, there are different perspectives. Hey, and now they have, uh, there's a lot of perspectives out there that have no biblical credence. Hey, now there are, uh, again, Two prevailing ones, again, those are the primary ones within scholarly circles, right, that both have some biblical credence. And now, again, it really, ultimately, those two views come down to, is there a rapture or is there not a rapture? And one view views the majority of Revelation is futuristic and has not happened yet. And the other view views Revelation, the majority of Revelation, is general prophecy and is describing the bigger picture of good versus evil. 
and and again, one that one that talks about most of Revelation is in the future uses believes that most of Revelation is written in literal language. So when it talks about seven years of tribulation, it's an actual seven years of the calendar. And the mark of the beast is an actual mark, right? Physical mark or, or a tattoo or a computer chip. Okay, the other view, right, of looks at it of where the majority or, or the majority of Revelation is written in symbolic language. Right? Meaning that again, seven years of tribulation is is just like the word the number seven in all in the rest of the Bible, where the seven is the number of completion. It is God's number. Okay, that um that the 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 mark of on your head and on your hands is like is like being the hands of feet of Jesus. It's your actions and it's your your thoughts, right? It's it's symbolic language. Okay, now as we look at these again, and as I say this, these are both both of these views again a rapture or or not a little rapture. Those things are they both have biblical credence. Okay, and in fact, if you go back, I will tell you again when I and. I, you might be disappointed in leaving this, is that well, I'm not going any deeper into those details today. Now, if you want to have that conversation, like email me, right? We'll have that conversation. I, I've studied it pretty extensively. Okay, but as we ask this, right, that, that, that all of both of these views, okay, have parts of them that fit in Scripture very easily. And there are parts of these theories that also are stretch. And the reality is you can't just use Revelation that whatever conclusion you get to, it must first and foremost fit into the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. Because Matthew 24 is where Jesus directly addresses it with the disciples. And whatever conclusions you get out of Revelation need to fit with the words of Jesus. As well as all of the other biblical writers. In fact, there's a lot of other biblical writers that address the end times, not just John and Revelation. In fact, John addresses it in all of his other writings as well. They also, Paul addresses it, as we see here, as well as several other Old Testament and New Testament biblical writers. And whatever our conclusion we get to out of Revelation must fit with the bigger picture of Scripture. And with that said, okay, is that he does address this in the first verses in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 8. So exactly how and when will the world, as we know, end? Okay, we're going to read, uh, again, jump back in at verse 1 of chapter 5. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Now again, as he addresses this question, right, the same question we have that they had then, exactly how and when will the world as we know it end, we, you likely you read these verses, he's like, he doesn't tell us. Right? And you're right, he doesn't. But he doesn't tell us. In fact, um, what does he tell us? He, in fact, tells them to don't worry about the details of the end of the world. 
And he says, as a believer, you don't have to worry about it. Right? In fact, that's the answer he presents them. Right? He tells them to be clear-headed. For you know quite well that God doesn't want us to know. If God wanted us to know, he would have told us. In fact, things that he wanted us to know are very, very clear in Scripture. At the end times, how and when it's all going to happen, is very vague. Which is why we have multiple theories. And why is that true in Scripture? Because God doesn't want us to know. God knows our hearts. He knows that we can't handle that information. Right, that if we had that information, we would mess it up. Because guess what? We're really good at that. Right? And the reality, he tells them, it is not a coincidence that twice in these verses he tells them to be clear-headed. Right? He's like, step back and think about this. Okay? Don't, don't get so caught up in this that it, that it moves your focus off of what God has told you to do. And, and again, he, he tells him, he's like, you guys already know this, right? Again, he tells him, just don't worry about it. Right? What you need to worry about is what's crystal clear in Scripture, and that's the gospel, by the way. That's evangelism. Right? That's us being transformed by God's Spirit. And I'll just pause to say here is that, again, this God does not want us to know. And so for those people who publicly pick a date, and there's been lots of people through history right, that have come out with a date of when they believe Christ is going to return. Hey, now this is just my personal opinion, but I think as soon as somebody does that, it guarantees that Christ is not coming back on that day. Okay, because again, what does Jesus say in Matthew 24? He said, Jesus says, he doesn't even know. Only the Father knows. Right? And so again, if we come out publicly and pick a date, he's like, well, can't come that day. Hey, now, hey, question number three. Hey, hey, which I think is probably the most important one. Why do I have so much fear and anxiety about the end times? Hey, why do I have so much fear and anxiety about the second coming of Christ? Because it is. It's out there, isn't it? Right? Maybe you felt that. Even as a follower of Jesus. Again, he addresses this um, in, uh, in verses 8 through 10. It, where he says, okay, again, we're going to read verse 8 again, where he says, But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. Did you get that? Whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can, we will live with him forever. Amen. Right? So as we look at that, right, he's he's telling him, he's like, guys, be clear-headed. Right? Have a, a proper view of this. Because the reality is, as a believer, you have no reason to fear the second coming of Christ. Because, again, all the details of the second coming of Christ, they are vague. They, we don't know, right? And because God doesn't want us to know. We, we can't handle that information. What we do know is what it takes to be saved. That is crystal clear in Scripture. Right? What we do know is that God wins. 
That is crystal clear in Scripture. Right? We know what our eternity holds as a believer in Jesus. And so he's saying, God, there, we, you should have no fear. Right? Regardless of your views of the end times. Right? Whether you're right or the other person is wrong or whether we're all wrong, it doesn't change the ending. That you have no reason to have fear or anxiety about the end of the world as a believer in Christ. And so, again, as we see that, right, we, um, we don't have to know the details. We don't have to crack the code, right? Because cracking the code on the end times is not what dispels fear. And it says Scripture tells us what dispels fear. It is the presence of God. Right? It is the love of God that dispels all fear. And so if you have fear or anxiety about the end times, all you have to do is just turn your focus on Christ. On what we do know is crystal clear. And, and again, start, we get back right where we started today, right? Is that, is, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you prayed and received Christ as your Savior? Have you confessed your sin and asked for forgiveness? Have you invited Christ into your life? Have you surrendered your will and your way to him? And, and if you have, right, and confess with your mouth and pray to the Lord and ask for that gift of grace and to be rekindled to that relationship with him. And, and then he will enter your life, right? And he will grant you that request. And at that point, then all the fear and anxiety, especially about the end times, can just go away. And that's really where he wraps up this section which is my final thought for today, and that is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. That's what we have to worry about. We don't have to worry about the details of the end times. Right? What we have to worry about is being obedient and disciplined to what God tells us to do. The first thing is to receive Him into your life right? and commit your life to Jesus. And then that starts this whole new process, right? Where we come together as God's church and we encourage each other and we build each other up just like we're already doing, but we're going to do it more, right? And that's the call that we are given as his church. Do it more. We want more of Jesus, right? More obedience, more discipline as we are transformed by his spirit every day. So again, I don't know where your faith journey is at today. But I do know that God wants you to move forward. Whether that first step is receiving Christ your Savior, if you already are a believer in Christ, then say, then Lord, what is the next step? What do I need to be obedient to? And what do I need to be disciplined for in my life? Again, I hope you'll commit to whatever that next step is. God, we submit and surrender to you. God, we give our allegiance to you. And God, we will be obedient to you. God, to take the next step in our transformation journey. God, to be closer to you tomorrow than we are today. And Lord, as we go this week, I pray, God, that you will just guard us, Lord, with the armor you provide, Lord, of our faith, with the protection of our salvation, to know, Lord, that we don't have to be afraid, that we don't have to go through this life with anxiety. We can trust and know that you are our king and that you win. And God, we, we claim that today. God, we live in that victory. And God, as we go this week, Lord, we will move forward in our faith and do exactly 
what you tell us to do. Lord, thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you, God, for transforming us. Lord, and walking with us through everything that we face. God, as we go this week, may your light shine through us in this dark world. God, may our obedience and our discipline show the world who you are. God, we love you. We praise you. Thank you, God, for the gospel. Thank you for your presence and your transforming spirit. And guide us as we go this week. For every step, we give you the glory. In Jesus' precious holy name we pray.